Disclosure, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hey everyone, Ben Keedy here with the Wealth Crypto Podcast on a Saturday and have another great episode for you. This time I had the pleasure of hosting Armando Osuna. Armando does a decent amount in uh, in blockchain crypto stuff. Uh, he is a consultant, he is a VC, uh, he's been early into NFTs, he has really done a lot over the years, and this was just a great sort of all-around conversation as far as what's going on in crypto, particularly around the early stage of investing. So, hope you enjoy. Thanks. And we're live. Armando, what's up, man? Hey, Ben, how you doing? Good. Good, dude. Um, like we were just talking about, like weather's great here in Sacramento, so I need to spend some time outside rather than in this office all day. <laughs> um, yeah, no, literally. Uh, yeah, weather's great down here in San Jose as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's see, just maybe to start, just give us a little bit about who you are, how you got into crypto, what you're up to now, and then we can just kind of go from there. Sure. I mean, how did I get into crypto? Actually, it's a funny story. Um, I was at an early stage startup called Keep. We were one of the very first mobile ad networks back in 2011. And at the time, there was this new company called Expensify. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone knows Expensify now, but back then, there were a small expenses platform um, that offered an option where when you submitted your expenses, rather than getting paid in fiat, they had a Bitcoin option. So I jokingly would always pick Bitcoin. And so yeah. eventually, you know, at the time, Bitcoin was probably like 25 cents or something yeah. like that. I had like four or five hundred dollars in Bitcoin, and so then, uh, then something weird happened. It actually became extremely valuable. Yeah. And at that point, I kind of perked up. But the problem back then was it, we didn't have the wallet solutions that we have now. We didn't yeah. have the on ramps that we have now. So it was like tricky just to like get to it and to move it and to like try to actually exchange it for actual, you know, uh, USD. Yeah. Uh, but that, that that's actually how I got how I got started into it. That's really interesting. Uh, I had no idea that Expensify had that Bitcoin payout option. And you said mm-hmm. 2011? Yep. Man, they must have been some OG cypherpunks to have that oh, like, it, in the app way back then. <laughs> yeah, it was probably just some engineers who were just like screwing around and they wanted to get on product managers, you know, on the product manager's nerves and say, oh, let's just make this also as an option because no one's yeah. ever going to use it because it's just a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, that's probably that's one of the more unique sort of intro stories of Bitcoin that I've heard. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, but uh, okay, so you acquired a little bag, and it turned into something a little bit more valuable. Um, mm-hmm. And then what? What from there? Like you've been involved in the space for a while now. Um, yeah, yeah. So what from there? Then at that point, um, I got introduced to Ethereum, um, and Coinbase. I had launches like 2015. The Coinbase launches, they now make it easier. They now have an exchange. You're now able to kind of look at different uh, crypto tokens and kind of see the moving, you know, see, see, see the moving up and down on a daily basis to make it easy for you to get a wallet, you know, all those things. Um, and then I said, oh, what's the second biggest crypto token besides Bitcoin by market cap? It was Ethereum. Got into Ethereum. Um, and that was around, around like 10 or 12 bucks. 
um, it went up a ton that summer. And, you know, from there, I was like, wow, this is something I should probably be paying attention to. In parallel, I'm in the software industry, right? Yeah. I'm a, v, you know, at that time, I was a VP of sales at a company called AppsFlyer. Uh, AppsFlyer was essentially an attribution company um, based out of Israel, you know, and uh, I was one of their people who ran like the US technical account, the US technical account management team. And so I was telling everyone in the office, like, you guys should get into this crypto thing. I think it's going to, I don't think it's going anywhere. And there, there were some neck beards in the office, like, oh, dude, yeah. I already have some, dude, I love yeah. you, and you know, and so we would always kind of like powwow during lunch and just talk about it, talk about other tokens, and and then you know, obviously, ICO craze happened around that time, and uh, you really, I really started to get involved, um, you know. But I'll pause there, but you know, that's kind of like the journey so far. Um, and, you know, obviously, if you have other questions, I'll I'll let you proceed. Yeah. No. Um... No, I think that's interesting. I mean, you've been in it a while. Uh, and whenever I talk to people who've been in it a long time, they they usually have a pretty interesting, I would just say, I guess, kind of take on like where we've been, where we're going type thing. So maybe maybe walk through that a little bit. Like from where you sit now with all this experience, like what is interesting to you? I mean, particularly as a VC too. Um, yeah. What uh, What's kind of piqued your curiosity at the moment? Yeah, you know, and you know, thank you know, thanks for mentioning that. Um, you know, I do have a fund called Meadow Ventures. Uh, with Meadow Ventures, it's both a uh, obviously it's an investment vehicle. Uh, we invest at the seed stage. Um, initially, it was a lot of gaming, a lot of uh, SaaS uh, stuff that's in future of work, uh, and then a lot lately has been in, in Web three. I think my last thirty investments have all been in Web three. Um, I also moonlight as a software consultant in the Web three industry, so I get pulled into you know help out a lot of projects go-to-market strategy operations, some BD stuff, fundraising, uh, things like that. <clears throat> and I think like, you know, where it was when I kind of, where when where all the people started to jump in just to kind of make money, because that's kind of why everyone jumps into crypto, let's be real, it's called spade a spade, yeah. to where it's going. I think where it's going, I think it's, th- there's going to be a lot more consumer apps that are built on top of these um, these crypto rails. And I think yeah. that's really interesting. You know, we're talking dating apps. We're talking the, you know, what's the Web3 Expedia look like? What's the Web3 Uber look like? What's the Web3 Match.com look like? Right. And eventually we'll start dropping the Web3 from it and it'll just be an app. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's kind of where uh, I hope to, I, we hope to get there sooner rather than later. But the thing is like, I think we moved really quickly um, and we realized that the average consumer doesn't even know how to buy crypto or doesn't know how to set up a wallet or yeah. doesn't know how to do a lot of, a lot of the basics. So, you know, companies that are focusing on on-ramping these users and making it really easy easy for them to kind of set these things up and, and acting as that facilitator, um, they're the ones I think that are going to kind of win initially just because they're able to just kind of go after the general market. And then from there, you'll start to see like different uh, niches, uh, niches, niche industries pop up where people kind of gravitate towards. But, you know, for now, in, in terms of where it stands, I think we had to take a step back big time just so that we can move forward. Um, and I think a lot of it was because people just didn't understand even stuff as we, I say simple, but stuff as simple as a gas, you know, the average mm-hmm. person like, why am I paying money for something? But I may not even get that thing, but money still left my account. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It, so where I usually sit is at sort of this intersection of TradFi and DeFi is kind of what this podcast has morphed into. Um, obviously, yeah. I love the software bit as well. But one thing, I had a podcast earlier this week with a, 
uh, guy named Anthony Morrow who runs Provenance Foundation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Provenance. They're financial services specific blockchain. Um, his kind of take, at least as far as institutional goes, that everyone's been talking about, um, is that the safety aspect really hasn't been there. You know, you've had yeah. che- cheaper and faster. Sure, great, right? But for at least institutional financial services, you need safer too. And mm-hmm. up until now, you know, last six months, mm-hmm. last year or so, uh, the the financial services side of the space hasn't seen sort of the sort of the risk processes that need to happen mm-hmm. to see just massive, you know, flows of capital come in. So it's, I, I I just bring all this up to say, I guess it's kind of interesting that, um, you know, you see this maturing. I guess, of the space that wasn't there before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you make, you bring up some great points. I think the, the trust and safety thing uh, is huge. I think right now crypto has a little bit of a PR problem. No, Um, (laughs) we, we, I I think we, we are consistently uh, kind of finding that on a daily basis. If you look at, you know, the, you know, the national news on a nightly basis, there's things that are happening. Obviously everyone's waiting for the SPF verdict to drop yeah. any day now. Um, and it's, it's, and it's just a lot of negative sentiment, but while there's all that negative sentiment, there are still a lot of really great builders who have stayed in this space and are kind of fighting the good fight in order, because they understand that we need to continue to push forward because what we're building and what we're hoping to build is something that essentially is going to be, you know, the modern web and, and, and kind of bring in uh, that paradigm shift that when an average consumer finally feels it in the right way and they have that aha moment, like when you first ordered an uber black on uber and pressed the button and a black car popped up and you're like what the hell is this this is amazing you know all those moments are coming and i think we just got to be patient and not get too hard you know get too ahead of ourselves but you know on the privacy and security side i think um you know i expect to see a lot of developments you know new privacy preserving preserving technologies and kind of security solutions um i think it's coming um, I think there's, you know, everyone always talks about like the other thing is people always talk about interoperability within uh, yeah. crypto. It's really hard to do right now. Now it's really hard for these blockchains to communicate and kind of interact with each other. Um, though that is essential for it to truly be uh, a decentralized web, right? Um, but you know, I think people again, they're, they're kind of they're they're building these things. Uh, you know, whether it's an interop- interoperable interoperable solution or some cross chain bridge or some sort of cross-chain communication protocol. Um, everyone's like heads down. And then the people who build on top of that are obviously the ones who are kind of, are going to bring the good PR, right? And going to bring in the masses. And then the underlying technologies are what everyone's working on right now so that everything kind of just works. Yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting point of just kind of, particularly from the marketing side of things. Like most people don't care that like, I've said this on multiple podcasts that like Google photos is in the cloud. Like you don't need to know what the underlying tech is to know that you're, you can go get your photos and access them from anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, at least to me has always kind of seemed like there's a huge ask for people to, you know, learn how wallets work, what your phrases are, how to send money to, and oh, from, yeah. you know, should it be in cold storage? Should it be in a hot wallet? Like all these, like, things i guess we 
we know as current participants in the space, you need to understand, yeah. but from a user experience, like it's kind of a big ask. Like my, mm. like my wife would be terrified to send a thousand dollars to some wallet, you know, effectively it's no different than transferring money from Wells Fargo to bank of America mm-hmm. from what you're doing, but it doesn't feel that way. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just very different. So well, I think because it happens really quick and you literally click mm-hmm. a button and then like literally eight to 10 seconds later, it's gone. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, well, let's just hope that it went to the right place. Yeah. And it's like, it's not like there's customer service for Ethereum. It's just like, no. if you, if you screw that up, you screw that up and there's nothing you can really do about it. Right. There's no callback. And, um, I fat fingered that a couple of times, you know, and, and, um, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. You're like, like, yeah. You're like, you're like Jesus, I, I sent point, you know, two five instead of point oh two five. Yeah. And you're like, uh. But you know, I think that's part of the, you know, that's part of what we what you know, that's unfortunately for people who've been in it, that's kind of part of like the initiation. Yeah. It's like you gotta you gotta get rugged. You gotta you yeah. gotta fat finger some stuff because uh if you don't, did you really are you really even in crypto? Yeah, I saw some like tweet, or I guess X now, whatever you want to call it. Um, somebody in my network had just said that uh, the best way to learn crypto is actually just to use it. You know, yeah. how do you 100%. how do you figure it out? Don't read something. Just go download MetaMask and you know buy some Bitcoin and send it to a friend. Like, mm. uh, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much how you have to learn it. Yeah, it's it's it, 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 it's so true. Yeah. Otherwise, it's all just kind of in your head, you know. Um, and and that's the thing. I think people literally get too much. They get a uh, you know uh, uh, they get an analysis paralysis. They read too much about it, and they read too much about the bad things and the things that could go wrong. And I'm just like, dude, just go try and buy an NFT. Literally, it's so simple now. You know, there's you know it's so easy to set up a wallet now. They make it dumb easy on in MetaMask, for example, with all their different partners like Boncha and MoonPay. Yeah. buy just a couple couple hundred bucks you know you tie it to apple pay now so literally it's just tap tap things that you're used to right these are like you know these are behaviors that you're already used to using your apple pay and kind of like holding your thumb down and then next you know you have two three hundred bucks in that wallet go to you know go to open you connect it they literally kind of have all the right pop-ups yeah. that, you know they're occurring and you go from there mm-hmm. the thing is like people always get stuck, like oh it's not working on my safari browser it's like oh well yeah you use like chrome or something else yeah <laughs> yeah it's not perfect yet, but there's always something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you kind of so kind of from what I'm taking from this so far is that it sounds like you think a lot of the next evolution of crypto is going to be that sort of Web three interface on top of these rails. Um, are there specific projects that you're seeing or things that are out there currently that are interesting in regards to mm-hmm. just sort of you mm-hmm. know onboarding yeah. and ease of use and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, like onboarding. Uh, yeah, there, there's you know, there's companies like Bentley who are doing a great job. Companies like that are, are essentially uh, allowing you know gaming projects, for example, just to build a game. And that's the thing. It's like there was like this. There was obviously the NFT boom, which I was lucky to be a part of, and not the bust. Um, and you know, you know, obviously I'm a board ape, and you know, I've been cool cat, you know, the cool cat community, and you know, Zuki, and all these really great projects, and you know, they would, pro- they were promising a game, right? And what they realized is, is that games are really hard to build. 
you know, ask, ask, yeah. the, folks, ask, ask the folks at Tilting Point, ask the folks at, at Activision, yeah. right? Um, ask the folks at Rovio. Billion-dollar right? enterprises in their own right. Exactly. And they have thousands of employees. And you you mean to tell me, because I come from the gaming industry, so you mean to tell me that 25 people are going to build, you know, a triple-A game in 18 months? I don't think nope. so. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I, and on top of that, now you, you also have to build an out-of-the-box wallet solution? I don't yeah. think so. So that's why it's better to partner in a lot of these situations. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like a build versus buy, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, with that, um, you know, a lot of the users who are in these projects and they've been waiting for all these months, they're like, oh, it's a rug. They never delivered the game, but they don't realize that games are really hard to build. And so when you're looking at the companies that are enabling those types of companies to just build the game and then they're just essentially like software solutions that can help that can we just focus on that? You know, yeah. Those are the companies that essentially are are, are moving the needle and are and are essentially growing really quickly. Interesting. Uh, but, so kind of like a crypto Roblox type thing. Yeah, I mean, it it could be, but then like you know, it, and, and the thing is like, there's so many different verticals within crypto, right? If you're looking at interoperability, there's companies like you know Cosmos, Polkadot, Avalanche. If you're looking at privacy and security, right? There's like Aztec, Oasis Labs, uh, you know, Zcash, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. If you're looking at other things like infrastructure, right? There's alchemy, infuria, Morales. Um, and so, you know, all these things are important, but I think the ones that are also more important are the Web3 education companies like, you know, Consensus Academy and Chainshot yeah. uh, and even yeah. Code Academy, you know, because I, I always tell like, like my dad, for example, he's really, he's really interested and he's retired and he has nothing to do. So he likes to study stuff. So I'll say, hey, go down the, the rabbit hole, learn like crypto lingo. He's like, oh, is that leap speak? And I'm like, dude, where the heck did you learn that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your dad's just trolling on Discord or something, or yeah, pretty, like yeah, Xbox literally. game. Yeah, yeah. Little, little uh, did I know he just became a mod on some Web3 project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. That is kind of how people kind of feel it, though, right? Like, you kind of get involved, and, and then you just kind of, you know, it it just kind of makes sense. Like everyone kind of has like that little aha moment. Like one for me personally was uh, a buddy's wedding happened a couple of years back. And one of my friends is international. He's in Brazil. And he, I was coordinating some money and he's like, how do I send you money, Ben? I'm like, I was like, Oh, you've got crypto down there. Right. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, here's my Coinbase wallet. And you know, five minutes later there it was. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, we could have done that through like a bank wire, but that would have taken yeah. You know, so like um, that was just one of, I guess, kind of many little sort of aha moments that I personally have had. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And and I think and that's kind of like what happens. Right. So I had my own gaming guild in the Philippines. So this is during the Axie Infinity boom. Right. This is basically 2020, 2021. You know, I had a 300, 300, 300 players, as I call them, in the Philippines who are essentially playing you know play to earn right it's a play to earn industry so they're yep. uh, earning slp right smooth love potion and then eventually coming converting that to eth and you know at that at, at one point that guild was huge you know we had about 300 players on a daily basis and i would yeah. have like managers and there was like layers of command and we we're onboarding like you know five to ten players like every week um we're also churning out five to ten players every week because like you know it just who can spend eight hours a day, you know, kind of yeah. playing a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But during that boom, uh, that's really where I realized how, how important it is for myself to send money to someone so quickly and efficiently, because when yeah. it came to payouts, 
I would just see the wallets, send the money to the wallets, and then they had their money. And the thing, obviously, in the Philippines is as a country, they started accepting SLP for you know uh, for services like the dentist or the grocery store. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so they had their little barcode. You would send the SLP to the barcode, and now you can pick up a Coke or you can pay, you know, for your root canal. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I really saw that. Wow, this this stuff is really really powerful. Um, and so when you think of it from that perspective, you know, Web three is all about community, and it's a global community. And when you take a step back and you get get out of the mode of like money and 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 fraud and all these things that just are negative, and you actually look at the implications on how it can affect people in these. In, in quite frankly, third world countries and the ease of which they can become, uh, you know, a, a, a have a have kind of a, a global job worth an yeah. entity in another country and then get paid out. You really start to see the power of it, and then you really start to see community the community of it because we had a great Discord. You know, three hundred three three hundred people every single day just really happy chatting, sharing sharing memes and sharing different strategies and tactics. Yeah, and uh, that could only have been that could only be done in Web three. That couldn't be. I've done, that couldn't have been done anywhere else, at least as simply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another actual podcast guest recently is um, uh, Lisa Nestor of AirTM. I don't know if you've heard of AirTM. Um, no, they're really similar to kind of like the challenge you were, like your guild payouts to you know your employees, right? Um, mm-hmm. They they're addressing that. So, like, if you're a global, you know, kind of tech employee in Argentina <laughs> or nigeria or whatever whatever right and you're doing this sort of gig work online um how do you get paid right and mm-hmm. rtm helps facilitate that so basically they've got like it's essentially a web3 platform where you know they pay people out in usdc so that's mm-hmm. attractive to a lot of the global community because their local currency this might not be so great right mm-hmm. um but then the other thing that they do uh, that you mentioned is the community aspect. Like they're really big on just like pairing their community to jobs, right? So if you're, you know, some big enterprise, say you're Microsoft and you just need some temp developers wherever you mm-hmm. get them, right? Maybe they're obvious. Maybe they're internationally sourced, but eventually that job ends. Like, what do these people do next? So uh, AirTM's big on that sort of community aspect of like bringing people together to share opportunities across you know, whatever it may be. Got you. Yeah. And that, and that makes a lot of sense because I think the future, I feel the future, unless you, unless you're a skilled worker or you know, I don't like to use the word white collar worker, but I'll just use it for now. You know, you're always, those people are, you know, they, they they have a different um, kind of job path Yeah. for the rest of the world, which is a majority, it's going to be, a, a, they're going to do a bunch of gigs. Right. Yeah. And it's going to be important for them to maybe in one instance, they're going to play a game for a couple hours a day and earn eight bucks. And another instance, they're maybe do some delivery and they earn like eight, 60 bucks. Right. And then eventually they'll have like six and maybe they'll be working on their own projects. So they're like a freelancer on Fiverr. Right. And there's another 50 bucks. Right. Yeah. And eventually. But you're getting all these different types of payouts, right? You're getting paid out in crypto here, you're getting fiat here, maybe your own currency here, and then eventually it can be hard to manage. So it's important for companies like hers that essentially are managing those layers that facilitate it and essentially choose up all the money into one currency or one single currency that makes it easy for everyone to understand or easy for everyone to essentially use or or um, um, or cash out on. 
Um, because ultimately, I think that's kind of where things are headed for for developing nations is that there's just going to be a ton of opportunities that are not full-time gigs, but they're gigs where you can make some bucks on a daily basis and they're pretty consistent and you're going to have a lot of these. Yeah. Yeah. The the stable coin aspect of that thing, I find pretty interesting too. Like that mm-hmm. definitely seems to be a topic for 2023 is uh, stables. I don't I don't know if you have a thought on those. I mean, I know PayPal, PayPal launched a stable coin, which yeah. is really interesting. I think, I feel like all of them are going to launch one now. Like I'm not even, I won't be surprised anymore. Um, but when you see companies like PayPal kind of jumping into the fold, it's kind of giving you the signaling that things are probably only going to get better. Right. Yeah. I, I, and I, you know, and because if they, if you, if you put that type of muscle behind something like, you know, if they're putting that type of muscle and I'm sure they're putting hundreds and hundreds of people into that project to kind of run it it's just going to continue to get bigger and bigger it's going to have more prominence within the paypal wallet and i think paypal might be one of the largest wallets on the planet i think almost everyone i would say almost everyone i know has a paypal right yeah yeah that's fair yeah i don't use it much but i definitely still have a lot yeah 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 no i know it it kind of became old school to use your paypal and then kind of switched to venmo or apple pay or whatever kind of the latest thing is cash app yeah Um, but you're noticing all these wallets. Like, you know, speaking of Cash App, you buy crypto there too. So, you know, Venmo. There's all these places now, right? It's like, it's like, why are they making it so easy to buy crypto if there isn't, if they don't feel like there's like these big general population use cases for it to be transacted on on a daily basis at the grocery store or at the movie theater? Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, there's like a, a specific example in financial services. It's like when you buy and sell stock the historic context around that was T plus three. So since the trade, it would take three days to settle. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just the old school sort of, I mean, a ledger based approach, just like, okay, they bought, they sold, reconciled, match, finalized. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that just used to take time. Mm -hmm. Financial services, actually, interestingly enough, is moving to T plus one. So this Mm -hmm. is happening like right now. And I think the implication is kind of obvious. It's that like, Soon enough, equities, bonds, you know, all sorts of financial assets will be traded and settled on a blockchain because it's faster, cheaper, cheaper, safer. Right. Mm-hmm. It's oh, happening. I totally now. agree. I, I totally agree. Um, and so so th- that's built on Solana, isn't it? Or um, I mean, there's enough all the big financial services firms are using they're testing various blockchains. Um, Got gotcha. you. Like the guy that I had on at Provenance is financial services specific um, mm-hmm. in how the actual blockchain itself is built. So it's a layer one mm-hmm. that has mm-hmm. certain financial services components built into it to make financial services easier than say if Got it. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's act the the layer one itself is purposefully built for financial services, which is interesting. Um, and they've done like, I guess, $15 billion worth of transactions or something, or there's wow that much value moving around the chain. So like, I don't know, it's really interesting because the like OG crypto space sees like traditional Wall Street coming hard, right? And there's like this kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, culture clash to a degree. Yeah, I mean, it's You've like got- shorter settlement cycles. Yeah, you've got this OG libertarian side of crypto, but then you've yeah. got, you know, Fidelity, BlackRock, Vanek, um, all these players are looking for a spot Bitcoin ETF. And 
you know, an interesting thing about the spot ETF is it might be a positive price signal, but then what's going to happen is you're going to most likely have 90% plus a supply owned by Wall Street, which mm-hmm. a lot of people might not have fully considered because the way an ETF works is somebody has to own the underlying. And if that's going to be BlackRock, Fidelity, Vanguard, et cetera, et cetera, like, yeah, it's an interesting trade-off, right? Yeah, and it is it one that consumers are are willing to make, or they're they're okay with it being made. Um, I guess only time will tell. But on the other hand, at least you know it's 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 name brands, and those name brands have trust. Yeah, right. And so, so it yeah. it, it makes sense from that angle as well. Yeah, we don't need another FTX. Um, not yet. Yeah. And, I mean, not yet. Not yet in the sense <laughs> of the, what went down. I mean, more in the sense of like what it could have been right if they would have kind of continued down the path and kind of done things the right way yeah i mean there was i mean it's too bad that ftx does the story because i would argue that the ceo that really deserves the accolades is probably brian armstrong in terms of being an advocate yeah. of the industry like mm-hmm. um you know there's a lot of ceos out there but as you know a publicly traded you know highly regulated you know business like he arguably done probably the most to be the safest air quotes option for the u.s consumer for crypto yeah absolutely they've they've kind of become the apple for crypto Mm -hmm. right and i think that's uh i think that's that's a that's a good halo right to for them to 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 kind of wear so and it's true i mean whenever someone whenever i talk to someone and they want to get onboarded into it I mean, obviously, they have, they have education modules within that app. Yeah, right? they do. Right? So, yeah. And they've and they've had them forever, so yeah. they knew they knew they know it's an education problem at the beginning. At the end of the day, it's like we just need people to mm-hmm. understand it. And once they understand it, then they'll buy it. And once they buy it, then they'll use it. And then once they use it, then we create those loops. And once we create those loops, then we create a habit. And once we create the habit, then they tell their friends. And once they tell their friends, now they become, you know, they they become like the social K factor that's going to refer more people into the into crypto. And so I think that's kind of where. But it all starts with the very beginning of like, you know, what is ETH? What is gas? You know, and and yeah. it kind of starts there. But you know, so I, I think they've done it. The they've done it the best that they could, despite the onslaught of attacks that have come from the federal level and even in some instances the consumer level. Um, I think they've done a pretty good job of kind of like fighting back as much as they can and, and being fair about it. Yeah, yeah. They've. I mean, whatever your opinion of them is, they they seem to be judicious and thoughtful in mm-hmm. how they approach what they say um so 100 percent. yeah yeah um yeah i don't know what else <laughs> no yeah i mean like like i said you know I'm, I'm an open book so yeah i can i can go in any direction uh I, you know i think for myself it's just yeah you know, i'm just really excited on the on the gaming stuff you know i think for me it's just um i'm waiting for you know kind of like these these web3 studios to kind of get it right um and i think that's kind of where a lot of my interest lies um because uh so many have gotten it wrong i mean if you look at even like you know the board apes and kind of what they built with the other side world and all that and in some instances it, it kind of was the flop and they're the ones that are kind of like the most capitalized um, they obviously brought in a pretty amazing ceo to kind of help run things uh but then he goes out and says hey well we're not a games company okay well then what are you right because everyone thought that that's the direction you're headed um 
because right now you know, it's it, it's kind of like everyone's kind of seeing what their moves are going to be because I think it's going to be kind of a fast follow based on like the, the decisions and, and the things they do uh, by the other smaller uh, kind of gaming companies. Yeah. So what uh, I guess what is what do you kind of look at as far as gaming goes in crypto? Like what is exciting to you in that space? Are you looking for like a fully native web three call of duty experience type thing? Or like, I don't even know what you would look at in terms of uh, gaming. Yeah. I, I think it's, 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 it's hard. I think, um, right. There's, if you look at just traditional game, there's just so many different verticals, right. There's like RPGs and then, you know, there, there's, um, um, you know, there's like, there's puzzle games and there's things that are kind of more, um, more suitable for what you would consider, um, you know, kind of like moms, right. Moms are playing like words with friends. Right, yeah. these these quick snackable moments, um, and there's nothing. There's not stuff like that right now in Web three. Everything has to be like this triple A, high fidelity, a Unity driven, uh, you know, game yeah. that's like that looks like really high end. But the thing is that those games are expensive and they take a long time to make. And so, yeah. I I'm hoping that, um, you know that that we kind of move away from that, and it's just more about just let's just build a bunch of like. Small, smaller more fun casual gaming titles and that's mm. kind of the vertical that i mentioned is like things that are more what we consider called casual gaming which are just kind of quick bites right and essentially yeah. that is uh you know, that's the kind of stuff that i'm looking at okay what uh i mean what historically has kind of hit that like quick bite type game like uh maybe like an angry birds type thing or like uh you said words, words with friends doesn't matter well i mean if you, do you remember this game called flappy birds yeah actually yeah yeah stuff like that Right. Okay. So it's just just quick addicting fun yeah right? and, and and those games are fast so and the thing about the gaming industry is like you can spend 12 months building a game you launch it and it flops well then now what yeah so you spend you spend two months building a flappy Tur- flappy birds type game it flops okay cool we have like 18 more coming out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right That's- so you get you give you give, you give yourself more of a chance uh to to get to get a hit then if you just go all eggs in one basket and essentially, um, you know, kind of go down, uh, you know, all, uh, all in on one, you know, one genre type, that's kind of, again, you know, uh, a lot harder to build and just takes a lot longer than development cycles. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a diversified investment approach for sure. <laughs> that's like your standard VC sort of one in 10, uh, kind of approach, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, also I think the, the games industry as a whole is, uh, yeah. In terms of Web two, they do have these skunk works Web three teams within these companies. You know, where essentially they know they need to be paying attention to it, but they're yeah. not quite Web three yet. They're like more Web two point five. Where like, yeah, you can still buy the item with like you know a credit card, or but if you have a wallet, you could also buy the item, and we'll give you like a smaller incentive, right? Or a small yeah. incentive. Um, and so things like that are, are are crucial, right? Because once like the the scopes of the world and and in you know, which is a gaming company based out of LA. Once they kind of start to um, focus more on this stuff, because the thing about them is that they have really great user acquisition strategies. Like they know what it takes to like acquire a user. They know the math. They they have a bunch of data scientists there. Yeah. Um, but right now they're like not so sure. It's like, well, do we move all our eggs into this Web three basket? Because what we're doing right now, we're still making a lot of money in Web two. On um, you know, people are still on their iPhones playing our games. Is yeah. it worth it for us to kind of make those decisions and kind of like you know you know uh, turn into this or lean into this and i think that's essentially what um what they're deciding so what they rather than going a full web 3 they kind of go web 2.5 and they kind of give you the optionality right okay we'll also launch the game on steam so you can you know kind of uh, access it there and um 
you know, there's also companies like Hyperplay. Hyperplay is building a decentralized uh, app store. So the distribution doesn't have to only be on Apple and Android for a Web3 game. Now it could be on Hyperplay, which is essentially saying, hey, we don't take any money from the developer. Uh, you yeah. can, you know, you can, you can, you can launch on, on our stuff. Uh, we'll make money just like, you know, everyone else makes money. We'll make money off of uh, you maybe bridging some ETH or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... um. I forget exactly who went to, you would know this, who, who went to court against Apple about their epic. Epic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe kind of summarize that a little bit for people who might not know this, but um, yeah, that's sort of the app store and their 30% tax and Epic and game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Epic makes you say like, dude, we're making so much money for you guys. The fact that you're going to take 30% from us is first of all, ludicrous because we're talking billions of dollars here. Um, And, you know, Epic, the other makers of Fortnite. Yeah. And obviously massively popular game. And when this fight was happening, it was when Fortnite was taking off and Epic was like, dude, we're literally giving away the house every single time someone buys or downloads our game on Apple. And so they decided to kind of, uh, you know, allow you just to, to go, you know, buy things on, you know, through web, through mobile web. So basically click a link, it would redirect to their own stuff. And Apple said, you know what? We cannot believe you did that. We can't believe you're not giving us 30%. We're going to shut you down. We're going to literally remove you from the app store. Um, and their CEO was like, no, we don't like that. And then essentially that's when all the litigation happened. And, um, you know, the outcome was like Epic one, right. They, yeah. they, 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 they got the decision in their favor. Um, but they were the ones who kind of took the chance and kind of went against the thousand pound gorilla. Um, yeah. and the, and obviously, uh, in the eyes of the law, they saw that, dude, this is unfair. Thank you for bringing this bringing this to our attention. Um, and so now, obviously, they're able to do that. And they obviously have their own store now, the Epic Game Store. So, um, but that that's kind of like the future, I think, of of, of games and the distribution. It's like these 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 decentralized you know app stores that are essentially going to allow developers to choose essentially where they want to uh, you know distribute their game from, and that gives players a choice to where they can download the game from, from where they feel they want to download the game from, not just from you know uh, you know Google and Apple. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's 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 that that's you know that's the thing about Web three. It's like we want to decentralize things so that we give consumers a choice, you know, and we give people the choice. And I think that is really uh, kind of like the theme of it all. Yeah, you know, I, as, as you were talking, that's kind of exactly what I was thinking. Like we, for better or for worse, have sort of allowed these sort of natural monopolies or cartels or whatever or whatever you want to call them to sort of take place across pretty much every industry vertical, you know, whether it's like mm-hmm. groceries, like Target, or, you know, it's oil mm-hmm. and gas, like Exxon, or it's tech, mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. you know, fa- Meta, Facebook, and whatever. Like, mm-hmm. there's a handful of companies that seem to coordinate a lot more than they actually do compete against each other. And, um, yeah, I think I think just having more choice is a huge part of that. Um, and I think the decentralized component is probably the crux there because, mm-hmm. you know, one thing I, I kind of worry about from a financial services perspective is like, and this has been said on the pod- podcast before too, but like Wall Street's got a shit ton of money. Like they have yeah. so much money and they could like Fidelity could buy over, you know, any tech, any sort of crypto web three company over and over and over again, you know? Um there is a scenario where like a lot of this stuff gets rolled up in uh, into wall street essentially so i think mm-hmm. having 
more options available is just generally better. It's better for the consumer. Like going back to the Apple point, like you basically had the Google store and, you know, the app store distributing all these apps and all these games and all these mobile things. No one had thought about that as like, you know, a marketplace. But when there's only two players, they can kind of do whatever they want. Hence, Apple charging 30% to access the iPhone interface, you know? Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, now, you know, take a step back. The court did rule uh, in favor of Apple in a lot of things. But the thing that it didn't rule in favor of was obviously um, it it prohibiting developers from linking to other payment systems uh, within the yeah. within their app, so that was kind of so you know the court is what or, they ordered Apple to remove that restriction, and then from there obviously um, because of the other things that Epic wanted, they appealed the decision, and I, I'm almost certain it's in the Supreme Court right now. Like I'm almost okay. positive, yeah. So it's it's right now it's I think it's in the Ninth District Court because um, I was talking to buddy about this a couple weeks ago. So it's not over yet; it's still ongoing. Um, it will essentially right now they're just doing it because it's still litigation. Um, you know, Epic is kind of linking out to 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 uh, their site, but um, you know, it's already had a significant impact on the tech industry, right? You know, one, Apple right now has this restriction removed, um, and then two, um, that change is good for consumers because it leads to lower pricing, right? And it yeah. gives more choices for developers, and I think yeah. that's essentially what, if anything, that's that's what we want, and that's what we have for now, and. If it, if it, and if it continues to be so, and to uh, then so you know so be it. But ultimately, um, that's kind of where we're at with that piece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a small game developer, kind of like you know the stuff that you're curious about, you know, giving up thirty percent of your take off the top. I mean that. Yeah, that's a margin for so many businesses would love a thirty percent margin. You know, like and particularly like yeah, if you're a small game developer, that's a huge expense for just trying to get your game out there exactly exactly so uh but you know i think that's uh and that's where web3 has a good a good stance right that that's the things that we're trying to essentially um you know support is decentralization so you know we'll see how that goes but yeah you know i think on the gaming stuff that that's kind of what you know what i um, i'm interested in kind of what i'm seeing um but you know, again, there's just it's it's so interesting. It's and it's just getting started, and there's just so many smart people who are leaving Meta and Google and Snapchat to work at these smaller Web three gaming companies uh, because they understand like, hey, this stuff's gonna move, and I kind of want to be kind of ahead of the game uh, rather than kind of being at this really cushy job, which is great. But then I know so many people who are just back to just building and they're back at small startups again after spending like seven eight years at, at you know at Meta. Yeah, um, and it, it just feels it feels like it's the mobile 2010, right? Back when yeah. that was barely taken off. Interesting. How uh, kind of going to the VC side of things? How do you stay up to date on what's going on in the industry? Do you just talking to a bunch of people, or are you like how talking do you... to a bunch of people? I'm I'm in a lot of uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in a couple of roll-up vehicles like the RUV Alliance. Um, I'm also part of different uh, in different Slack uh, groups, including like Convoy Ventures. Uh, they're really big into investing in gaming. Okay. Um, I'm also, uh, telegram. Holy shit. I'm like getting three or 400 telegram chats on a daily basis. I'm getting like three to four pitch decks. Yeah. Um, I look at everything. So if you want to send something to me, Armando at meadow.ventures, A-R-M-O-N-D-O at meadow.ventures, I'll yeah. look at it. You know, I have no problem. Um, and I'll forward it along. 
And, um, you know, like I said, I'm a seed stage investor, so I'm the first money in. I take on a lot of the risk, but then I also take on a lot of the upside. Um, and it's just really fun because, you know, I get I get introduced to new technologies on a daily basis. And for me, that's kind of the, um, you know, the, 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 the fun aspect of it all. And so, yeah. uh, you know, and, and again, you know, if, if you're, if, if it's an information game, a lot of times I'm getting opportunities are like in the real estate game are kind of pocket listings, right? Things that no one's seeing first. I get like first writer refusal, um, which is great. Or maybe it's not so great. I don't know. Maybe they think I'm just dumb money. and like, oh, let's go to him first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say, uh, but but truly, I mean, the the cool stuff I've been seeing lately. I saw a company called Teleport.co. They're like Web three matchmaking, and they're kind of like Raya but better. Um, and they're doing some stuff for like NFT social clubs and things like that. And I've, I've, I see I see a lot of just really really interesting stuff. Um, uh, like always, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to check out this Teleport. Um, yeah, Teleport.co. Okay. Huh. And what what exactly do they do? Matchmaking. They yeah they're they're matchmaking but on Web three rails. Okay, so like this yeah. is like yeah. it's a dating app basically. Yeah. Um, what's I guess what's unique about them relative to? Uh, I think it's the social club mm-hmm. aspect. Basically, you, you, all the holder. I mean, one it's a, it's for high net worth individuals. They're building like a, a really cool social club. Uh, I believe in New York City. In order for okay. you to access it, you got to have the the token. Right? Yeah, so it's all tokenized and yep, 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 yep. And then you know, essentially, they're not there. They they think that they they believe that dating apps right now are are there to make you single, which makes sense because once you get a partner, you no longer need to use the app. Therefore, you're they're minus one on DAU. Right, yeah, on daily users. Yeah, right? yeah, that's. Uh... And they don't, they don't want that, right? <laughs> they, they want you to continue to date and want you to continue to see things and see yeah. new people. That's interesting. That's super interesting, actually. I, I mm-hmm. never thought about it like that, but I guess incentives, <laughs> yeah. incentives matter. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, I there was another New York-based like social club that made headlines a couple years ago about having you know nfts as like your gated entry type thing um i forget who that was but that again i guess going back to community that sort of small exclusive exclusivity of community Mm -hmm. is you know i I think it's interesting maybe for the high net worth i don't know something like that would be useful for mass retail though you know Um, yeah no, and like like I said, so you know, I think because I'm in the early stage of investor, I, I see just a bunch of a bunch of stuff, you know, and yeah. a lot of it's some of it's kind of niche, uh, but you know, other stuff is kind of more general market. I mean, I still look at I still look at SaaS all the time. That's not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah, right. I still I still look at subscription businesses. That's not going anywhere. Um, you know, I think uh, future work is still very interesting. I don't know if people are still excited about like working from home. I know people have like working from home fatigue and they're just, they, they're excited. To, they, they, they actually are happy when they have to go into an office and like see people yeah, right? and kind of build camaraderie. Um, and so, you know, companies that are kind of focusing on that, on kind of making sure that companies are able to build culture while having this hybrid workplace are pretty interesting to me um, because I think a lot of people um, are just sitting lonely at their desk on a, like late hours a day. And they realize this is not as fun. Yeah. I get to go get coffee whenever I want, or I get to order DoorDash whenever I want or walk my dog. But then like, I don't really get that human connection, uh, as much as I yeah. thought I would Yeah, as much yeah. as I, I, don't, I, I miss that more than I thought I actually would. Yeah, no, I, 
I can see how working from home could be challenging. Like my personal experience is I've been working from home basically since back half of 2020. So it's been, you know, uh, three yeah. plus years now. Um, and overall it's been really good. Like I'm married, got a couple of dogs. Like I always hated commuting just cause I would in my head be like, that's two hours out of my day that I just can't get back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like it's just me. It's me and the dogs and my wife. And she sometimes is like, "Can you get the fuck out of the house?" I see you all the time. Yeah, uh, literally. But uh, you know, you also have to have a community too. So, and we've got a good friend group. We get out a lot, and so like you know that social aspect. I guess I haven't missed, but I could see how, like, say you're moving to a new city. You know, how do you meet people? Work is usually a good way to do that. And if you're just working from home eight hours a day, like how likely are you to go join, you know, a rec baseball team or something like that? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I've been working from home since 2017. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you just have to get used to it, but I try to take as many meetings outside as possible. I try to meet people in public. Um, yeah. other things that I'm doing, I'm also helping produce a wine documentary. Um, oh, Nice called yeah it's tentatively called the rare stuff it's a story about this guy named michael jacques chassui he is from a tiny uh french uh you know um tiny french town uh he has a 200 million dollar wine collection that he has sourced over the last like 65 years i mean this man has wine from the titanic wow um yeah and did he just start off as kind of like a normal person or was he like some rich he, guy he, who was in the wine no, or? no he, he no he was just he was you know he obviously worked for in the beverage industry yeah. and he would use like you know the french culture of tourism letterhead and reach out to different vineyards around the world and say hey we want a bottle of your wine but really it's just him asking for for his own you know yeah. for his own seller yeah um and so that's been really fun and it's different right it's not software it's not web3 it's it's literally uh a wine documentary on a pretty interesting character um so i've been uh i'm raising funding for that that's really fun um and you know the the, the story is really interesting you know i mean this guy is uh you know there's a japanese word for uh avid collector otaku he's like an otaku of wine and he was actually out here in los gatos uh i mean you know obviously in northern california and he came out a couple of weeks ago and the man is just like Willy Wonka. He just, he knows it all about wine and uh, he has hundreds of hundred point wines in there. Um, You know, he's a good friend like Jason Woodbridge, who I believe is a producer of the most hundred point wines. He's up in Napa. Okay. Um, And there's been attempts of robbery on his cellar. He's been held up at gunpoint. He's had his fingers broken. Damn. Um, Yeah, dude. I mean, obviously this is not, this is obviously the crypto part, the wealth crypto part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But the thing is, like, the shit that I get bored talking crypto and Web3 and all oh, that yeah. stuff sometimes. I'm not going to lie, you know, because I'm in it every single day and I talk yeah. about it every single day. And then when this stuff came, when this came across my plate, I was like, first of all, I've never done this. I'm in. Yeah. Because that's just how I, that's how I am. I was like, yeah, this yeah, sounds yeah. good. I'll, I'll help finance this thing. Um, and, um, you know, it's. But the way I get involved with it is through NFTs. David Garrett, who's the founder of Club Devin, which is a Web3 wine club. Yeah. 
essentially reached out to me because I had a couple of the NFTs that were uh, the basketball player, Tony Parker, bought a, a chateau in France called Chateau Saint Laurent. He's la- launching his own wine collection. And the only way you could access is through the what the NFT. So I purchased the NFTs and got involved with that. And then I met David and then do that. David's like, oh, by the way, we're also doing a film on a completely other note. So crypto kind of still had to yeah. play in it. Yeah. But it took me in a completely different direction. Yeah. 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 No, that I dude, I totally get it. Like um crypto, at least for me, like I am decently involved in the space, but like I said earlier, kind of as an observer, so I'm not doing it all the time. So that's why right. these that's why these podcasts are fun for me because I get to go talk to all these people who are doing all these crazy things in crypto. And it's like, oh, I had no idea that that was even going on. Like, that's mm-hmm. awesome that that's out there. Like, there was mm-hmm. another guy on the podcast um, who is uh, basically tokenizing um, whiskey casks. So, like, if I you love that. Yeah. Um, what was his name? I've done. What is this? You're the 43rd podcast, which is kind of nuts. And I have trouble remembering. Wow. Sometimes. Yeah. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. It's been a bit of a journey. Um, let's see. What was that guy's name? Let me find him. Pod Sanders. Spirits Capital. Um, I love yeah. that. Yeah. If you want to get involved in crypto and you like whiskey, go look up Todd. So No, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's why I think tokenization of like everyday things or tokenization of real things. I think that that's obviously super important. I mean, there's been talks of of, of Michael Jacques actually tokenizing his collection. Yeah. I mean, two hundred million dollars, uh, like you could get, I mean, that would probably 10x no problem. Rich people would be all about that. All about that. Um yeah. But, you know, he has wine from Napoleon's army. I mean, this guy, I'm telling you, it's like, yeah, I'll say I'll say, I'll send you a link uh, to the trailer that we've built so far. We, we're doing some pickups in Napa. And actually, the, the team is out p- doing pickups in Bordeaux uh, this weekend. Um, okay. The director, uh, direct, the director, let me make sure I get his name right, because I was just talking the other day. The director's name is Tony Biancasino. He did stuff with like 30 for 30. Kevin oh, wow. Hart. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. he's like a serious documentarian. Yeah. Um, and he said, dude, let me meet this guy. He met the guy's like, fuck, I'm in. This guy's just crazy. Yeah. Like the shit that he says, and maybe he could be drunk half the time, but who knows? Yeah. He yeah, probably yeah. is. He probably just like smashing like a 10K bottle just in the morning. That's his, really funny. <laughs> with his bacon and eggs. But um, so we have a really, really good team behind it. Uh, you know, there's still some crypto elements here because you know David Garrett's also involved with it. So you know he's doing, you know obviously clubbed event. So you know it's still within the realm, um, but it just it just goes to show you you do, you never know where Web three or crypto is going to take you. you yeah, know, and the people that you meet. And so yeah. what I tell people always like keep an open mind, listen to people, listen to their story, and sometimes you'll be surprised to where it takes you. Yeah, no, I uh, I'm continually surprised by people um through this podcast like there some sometimes people will reach out in a variety of ways whether it's through pr directly or whatever and i look at their projects and what they're up to like i had no idea what provenance really was until i talked to anthony and i was like yeah yeah you guys are doing like serious business like they're um and i was like no idea i had no idea you know, mm-hmm. and I work in financial services for a living day to day. Um, yeah, provenance is important. Obviously, super important in art, but you know, just mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're they're doing it in a different. You know, obviously he's doing something different, but you know, it's 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 clear. It, it's clear that um, you know, with with things that he's doing and the things that other people are doing in the space, it's like 
everyone's still pushing forward with innovation. Everyone's still pushing forward and holding out an op- a helping hand to people who are interested and want to get involved. And that's what I, that's what I like about this space. It's like, it's, you know, whenever someone wants to talk about it with me at the airport or they bring it up or I jump into a conversation and cause I hear someone kind of like chatting about it. It's always like, they always take that step back and they open up the circle you yeah. know, because because when you meet someone who is interested in this stuff, it's like it's like we're one and the same, right? We're speaking the same language, and it's really nice to meet people like that. Yeah, yeah. I guess that'd be a good place to leave it uh, as far as this yeah. podcast goes, right? Absolutely. Um, community, communities, everything. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. Um, any last thoughts, words, comments? No, no last thoughts. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you, Ben. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool, guys. All right, we'll leave it there.